coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. And Steve Jobs had said, I, I'm more proud of all the good things we said no to than that allowed us to pursue the one great thing at any given moment. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that is a discipline I've personally had to continue to relearn because there's Absolutely. definitely a shiny, any entrepreneur, yeah. you're going to have shiny object syndrome. <laughs> oh my God, I just yep. read this book. I just learned <laughs> this. I just saw this happen and you want to jump on it, but you have to remember the distraction that that can cause. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Up next on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Andrew McConnell, who is the CEO of Rented Inc. Andrew is one of those entrepreneurs that realized something was missing in, in life, and he basically used inspiration from what he was experiencing to create his company, which is now one of the leading providers of re revenue management systems for vacation rental homeowners. So this is a great story about how he took one of his own needs and one of his own struggles and turned it into a business that is now thriving. So without further ado, please enjoy today's episode with Andrew McConnell. Family meals were very important to them. And so uh, no TV was allowed. And we all sat together and ate together for dinner. And it, it may be more difficult than it sounds because both my parents were physicians. My mom was a pediatric hematologist oncologist and my father was a pediatric cardiologist. And as I got older, realizing the hours they worked, the overnight shifts that they'd have to have an overnight call, I do not know how they managed to swing it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there's certain things that annoy you. The fact that we couldn't watch TV while we're, uh, having dinner, or the fact that my parents would have very detailed, in-depth scientific conversations about <laughs> medical science that yeah. you know, a seven-year-old me or a four-year-old my sister did not understand, or it would get frustrated with. You know, I think learn to appreciate that more, especially now that I have my own daughter. Mm -hmm. Really, even if I'm not eating at that time, find it important to sit with her and really have that breaking of bread. And that time as a family, I, I think, is very important. That's great. And and were you a uh, a budding entrepreneur growing up? Did you have any things that you did as a kid selling candy or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think like everybody, I'd go to the cash and carry, buy the box of Jolly Ranchers, sell them piecemeal. Did the the magazine subscription, so I got to be principal for the day because I was the number one seller in the high school for the magazines and you know different things. It. it that was always an itch, I guess, to do it. My, my grandfather ran his own business. So my parents were both physicians opposite uh, in terms of what they did than I think entrepreneurship. They went a very regimented track. Mm -hmm. But I, 
I didn't want to do it for its sake. It, it had to be something I cared enough about. I thought was big enough to, to really pursue because I think I thought I understood just how much work, how much dedication, mm -hmm. how much time it would took. And you can't fully, fully understand it until you do it, but you get a sense of it from the outside end of when you're working for somebody else for a paycheck, it is different. Yeah. Yeah. What, what type of business was your grandfather in? He was in engineering, sales and engineering. So he mm -hmm. was a, an engineer and he, he actually hadn't founded the company. His father and uncle had founded it. Oh, wow. And I, I didn't know this till much later in life. He had gotten into Harvard business school and after the Navy and turned it down because uh, his, his father wanted him to come take over the, the business in Birmingham, yeah. Alabama. And wow. he did. And he never expressed regret, but my grandmother definitely expressed regret that yeah. he, he didn't go pursue that. Yeah, that's funny. So now you kind of followed in his footsteps the opposite direction at first, right? You went, you went to Harvard, correct? I did, yeah. So I did undergrad and then law school there and then law school at Cambridge in the UK uh, just because I didn't want to have to change my address too much. So I wanted to do one Cambridge to the next. Yeah. And the, you know, I, I loved law school. I thought the intellectual exercise of it was incredible. Um, the way teaching you to think the people were so smart. Yeah. You, know, you know, I went to undergrad and I thought these people are really smart. And then I went to law school. I was like, wow, these people are really <laughs> smart. This yeah. is absolutely incredible. And then I, and were you, I, were you intimidated by that or did you kind of fit in with that crowd? Would you say? I, I think I thrived on it because you can learn so much. You can learn mm -hmm. so much from anybody, but people at that level, I mean, when someone says something and the professor says, I don't think anyone's ever thought of that before. Like, wow, I, I'm in the presence of greatness. Like yeah. just listening to this person, I am really going to learn. And that's, that's an incredible opportunity to get, to be able to learn from those kinds of people. I think there was also a realization of capabilities and everything of like, look, I was a math and science guy in high school but I wasn't Stephen Hawking. And so yeah. I, I could do good AP high school math. Getting to college, I was like, I, I'm not going to be a math major. I, I'm pretty sure that's not, my, <laughs> not I'm not cards. a beautiful mind guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so economics, I did a lot in that. And some history and literature kind of bounced around a little more. But I think appreciating the people around you that are so much smarter can bring so much more without allowing it to make you less, right? Mm -hmm. Can you use it to build you up? Mm -hmm. And I, I think I was very fortunate to be able to do that uh, yeah. in, in a few different environments. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, anytime you sur can surround yourself with people that are better in whatever capacity than you, you you're going to come out better on the other side. So, so that's fantastic. So, so you graduated uh, law school. What happened next? Did you jump right into entrepreneurialism or or? Was it a little bit, a uh, little bit longer before you started? It, it was longer. I actually, McKinsey, the consulting firm recruited on campus and they paid for me to do the bar exam. So I did that. And once I passed, I went inactive immediately because I was going to consulting. Mm -hmm. And so I got the opportunity to work with very large companies doing you know, fun strategy projects. And every time I was ready to go, okay, look, I, I kind of done that moving on. They would know what would bring me back. So they say, actually, we have this amazing project to go work on teacher effectiveness directly with the superintendent of this huge urban school district. Uh -huh. Would you like to lead that team? Well, yeah, of course. I would love to lead that team. Let me go <laughs> they had that. the carrots for you, huh? <laughs> yeah. And so then you kind of, you, you end up kind of on a cycle. You might as well wait a few months. So then the next time I'm like, I have it a whole planned out. I'm going to leave. And I say, well, actually, there's this team. We're going to have two teams and we need you to run one. 
to go do economic development for a year in Afghanistan and go to Kabul and Herat. Wow. And my wife still talks about, I, I didn't ask her first. You know, there was certain <laughs> things. It was similar to coming here to Bermuda. There was an email chain and a, a family friend offered us a house for the month of September uh-huh. because they were flipping it to the long-term rental market. And my wife emailed me say, hey, we should talk about this. And I said, no, we shouldn't. I've already booked the flights. There's nothing to talk about. <laughs> and so I think- Take, take charge kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I sometimes uh, act before I think, but I think in both of those instances, they, they played out. I mean, to be able to have that opportunity to work with USAID, to work with the DOD, to work with local Afghani businesses, to, to try to get them contracts. I, I wouldn't have passed up that opportunity. Yeah. And so I did that a few times. And then um, a partner I actually worked with on those projects recruited me to go to what seemed like a real startup to me. It was a hundred million in revenue by that point, but you know, it was backed by benchmark and it raised a bunch of money that was in the legal space. So it was innovating law firms called Axiom. Okay. And it was to launch a new team, a, a new entire service and product where instead of just providing attorneys as one-offs, I would go in and help sell these projects where I would outsource entire functions. So things that the team may be doing in London, I would document it, I would create the process, the playbooks, and then we'd move that to Belfast. And I'd have to recruit and manage the team and train them up. And and so that was, you know, I took it to 20 million in the first year. And so it was like, oh, okay, I, I'm getting some confidence that I can I can go do this business thing. And I was really excited about it. And I, I was starting to get concerned on my scalability there because I was helping sell. Mm-hmm. I was helping design. I was helping recruit. I was helping manage. I was saying, I, I'm not going to be able to grow it that much more because I'm already managing five of these teams now. Yeah. And, and so that kind of coupled with, I had the idea for my first business and, and researched and said, okay, I think now is the time for me to, to get going. Mm-hmm. And was that first business rented.com? Uh, it was called Vacation Futures Inc. So okay. the, the first, it was on a family vacation um, over MLK weekend down in Turks and Caicos. And okay. two of my dad's family friends over lunch started talking about VRBO. And I had never heard of it. This was 2012, January of 2012. I didn't know anything about Airbnb, VRBO. So I said, well, what's this VBRO? And they said, well, it's not VBRO, it's VRBO. It's vacation rent by owner. It's this amazing site. We rent out our homes. We make all this money. Well, that sounds great. How do you know it's not high school kids renting out your home? Because when I was in high school, mm-hmm. we always had to use our parents' house once they went out of town. And I'd say probably 50% of the time, someone would get in trouble. Someone would get yeah. caught. And we did that. <laughs> but you're saying we could just get a couple hundred kids from the school to throw in 20 bucks and go rent a house every weekend, a total strangers, and we'd never get in trouble. And so, oh, I have to interview every person that's trying to do it. I have to look them up on LinkedIn. I do some calls, see the size of the party, collect IDs. Like, okay, that actually sounds like some work. Well, how do you get it clean? Because you live in Atlanta and your place is in Florida. You live in Boston, your place is in Vermont. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to hire a local company to go in and coordinate with them. And so I just kept asking questions. And at the end, I said, okay, this doesn't sound like you put something on the interweb and you make money. It sounds like you're actually having to do a lot of work. So, well, yeah, I mean, just like eight or 10 hours a week, so eight or 10 hours a week, yeah, well, you know, you're a cardiologist, part-time job. <laughs> you're a dentist, you're yeah. billing at 500 to a thousand dollars an hour. And yet on your personal time, you're giving eight to 10 hours a week doing this. You, you don't change your own oil. You don't mow your own lawn. You hire yeah. people to do those things. Why in the world are you doing this yourself? 
And they said, because the professional companies in the space, one, they thought charged too much mm -hmm. and two were on a hundred percent commission. And so they felt they had no skin in the game. And so the homeowner was stuck with the mortgage, stuck with utilities, mm -hmm. whether it rented or not. And the, the managers got a cream off the top. And so thinking back to my law school negotiation class, I said, well, I, if these companies don't have jobs without your homes, why wouldn't the owners get together and just make the managers bid against each other yeah. to tell you exactly what they're going to give you? Create this futures market where you say, I'm, I'm only using it these four weeks, these other 48, it's available, and you run these auctions. And they looked at me like I was a complete idiot and said, well, obviously, if there's a way to do that, everybody would be doing that. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, that sounds like a lot of people. Is this a big market? And so unfortunately for the trip, I, I didn't really go back to the beach uh, my, the rest of my time in Turks, but I, I just started researching yeah. and spent 10 months talking to professional property managers, talking to people who had these homes and everybody just kept asking, hey, how do I sign up? Where do I sign up? Like, there's nothing to sign up for. I'm just yeah. asking you some questions. And so I eventually launched that, quit my, quit my job in November of 2012 to go start building that first business. That's great. And, and that ultimately turned into rented.com, correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that it, there were three businesses along the way. So that there was that auction marketplace uh -huh. and it, it grew, you know, doubling revenue every month, very high EBITDA online marketplace, but it kind of capped out on the, the TAM because there are not that many managers that actually can do that. Every okay. homeowner wants it. No, yeah. no work guaranteed income market dynamics. Wonderful. But there are just so many managers that can do that at scale and everybody else is just kind of one-offs. And that's even pre-COVID, right? Like now with COVID, yeah. most managers wouldn't touch that at all. So we kind of plateaued and then we were thinking, okay, if every owner wants this and every manager wants another thing, how could we help bridge that gap? So Lunit launched a, another business, Rented Capital, which was a fund that would finance paying the owner a fixed sum okay. and then hiring the managers. Yep. And so we did that and, and partnered with local property managers on a commission basis. And then what we saw with that was the managers that are great at hospitality, great at delivering amazing property care to the owner and experiences to the, the guests were not data scientists. Mm -hmm. In their markets, they, there weren't even data scientists. There weren't great data analysts and revenue managers. And so for us to really maximize revenue, we need to start taking more and more of that on. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy. And I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. 
Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. So because we had a scale, because we had several thousand properties, we started doing this in-house, expecting a 5 or 6% revenue lift. And what we saw within 30 to 90 days was actually a 30 to 300% revenue lift. Oh, and wow. Said, wow. Oh, well, this is, this is actually different. And so we, we looked at the different businesses and so actually tapered off, stopped signing new contracts, sold off the contracts, sold them to the managers or didn't renew and went fully into revenue management and pricing for these professional property managers. So fortunately made that transition starting back in 2019. So by the time COVID hit, we were out of that leasing business, wow. which is okay. complete luck. Yeah. But Great really focused there. on uh, tech enabled service and software as a service for that pricing and revenue management side. That's great. That's great. And, and when did you pick up rented.com? Obviously that had to have been a hell of a process to be able to get that domain. No. Yeah. It, it wasn't a terrible process. So we had vacation futures and we knew the day I bought Vacation Futures, I bought RentFutures.com. Okay. And my, my, my thought was any heavy asset, so plane, boats, any of these things, this principle would apply. Could you sell futures? You have futures of pork bellies and oil and all these. Could you sell futures for rental rights of big assets? Mm-hmm. And that, that was the ultimate vision. And so a couple of years in, people started listing boats and planes on the platform. Okay. It wasn't like we had a ton of liquidity for it, but there was demand. People wanted this for those assets. And so vacation didn't make sense anymore. And we were going to flip to, to rent futures. And then we realized other than a couple guys with houses in the Hamptons that were traders, no one got the futures reference. Yeah, either. Some right, people right. thought it was brilliant. Like, absolutely. That totally resonates. But 99.9% of people said, I, is it a timeshare? Yeah. I don't know what this thing is. And so we started looking at new names and that same day, one of my employees texted and said, hey, no one's using rented.com. And I said, that's good for them. That's great that that's out there. Yeah. And because I was cheap, I had never paid more than $9.99. Exactly. For a, exactly. A and so we came up with, it was over 600 ideas. Like the, the whole company was weighing in. We had a night where we brought in wine and pizza and we're like, oh, coming up with ideas, testing. I bought a bunch of domains. And everybody, once you heard it, everybody just kept coming back to rented.com. Yeah. So we just hired a broker and got it. And, you know, I, I've heard people pay six figures for sites. We didn't do that, but it yeah. definitely was not nine ninety nine. Well, that's it was, great. It was fortunate because no one was using it. So it yeah. hadn't gotten like some crazy bid up number. Yep. What, what, uh, what brokerage did you use just out of curiosity? I've heard horror stories with some of them. Some of them didn't work. Some of them didn't, just curious. This was back in 2015, oh, so it, okay. it was over five years ago. I really don't remember. I'm sorry. Okay. No, no, no. No worries. No worries. So, so that yeah, fantastic story. Congratulations on all the success with uh, with Rented.com. But you also have another focus that you've been working on a lot on today, and basically that's positioning yourself as would you say an inv- innovation expert? Yeah, I, I don't know if the innovation itself, but more creating an organization that can innovate, right? And and creating an organization that the default is to innovate. And that's probably more out of necessity than anything, right? Yeah. You, it, each time we launch a company, we launch a product, it fits the market. And on the front end, you can do a bunch of analysis, like the consultant type stuff and say, okay, here's what the market is. Here's how big it is. Here's how they'll grow. 
but until you're in it, yeah. you don't really know. And yeah. so you may hit plateaus, you may hit realities. And so being close to the customer whose needs and wants are changing, being close to the market that is absolutely changing day to day, right? The travel was absolutely incredible until early February. Then travel was, it was the end of the world mm -hmm. until the end of March, early April. Yeah. And then travel was the greatest thing ever in certain sectors by yeah. May. And so you, you don't want to overreact, but you need to look at micro and macro trends and make sure that you're adapting, which I think as a business that is selling services or selling products or selling technology, that by definition becomes innovation. How do you adapt? How do you not necessarily react, but kind of proact and, and build to where the, the market's going to be mm -hmm. and, and get those to come with you? And so I think that's, that's really where it stems from. So how would you, how would you say that innovation helps business? Is it about streamlining? Is it about finding more opportunities? What, what are your thoughts there as far as things that can be realized through innovation? Yeah, I, I think there are a number of different benefits. I mean, one I think is as a culture, as a, a company, if that's something that it's excites you and you're building that into the company, you are going to self-select and create a team and hire people whom that also excites and who are also looking to do that, mm -hmm. right? So the, on that journey of the different businesses, the name rented.com, the idea to buy that did not come from me. That came from someone else because we mm -hmm. have this code, other people, the idea of financing and buying the lease and then hiring a man that did not come from me. That came from a frontline salesperson in a quarterly one-to-one. The idea to start taking on the revenue management ourselves did not come from me. It came from our chief commercial officer. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I really take this mindset of part of how I came up with the idea for the original business was I didn't know anything about the industry. I could ask the dumb question because I, I, I hadn't yet learned enough to know what I needed to forget. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now that I've been doing it in this space for going on eight or nine years, you know, I, I am part of the industry. I am part of that problem. So it has to come from other people. And I think by, by doing that, I end up building a team. We end up building a team and I get to spend my days surrounded by people mm -hmm. that are innovating, that are excited yeah. about innovating, that are coming up with great ideas. Now, the, the flip side on that is it's not actually a volume play, right? It, I think most people, it's not a dearth of good ideas. Mm -hmm it's a lack of discipline to pursue the great idea mm -hmm. at the right time. And Steve Jobs had said, I, I'm more proud of all the good things we said no to mm -hmm. than that allowed us to pursue the one great thing at any given moment. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that is a discipline I've personally had to continue to relearn because there's Absolutely. definitely a shiny, any entrepreneur, yeah. you're going to have shiny object syndrome. <laughs> oh my God, I just yep. read this book. I just learned <laughs> this. I just saw this happen and you want to jump on it, but you have to remember the distraction that that can cause. Mm -hmm. Do um, you have any, do you have any insights that people can use or any frameworks or tools to, I guess, keep on the right path? Because you know, I mean, again, as you mentioned, any entrepreneur, you know, there's shiny objects all over the place, opportunities all over the place. You know, how do you, how do you focus on the right path? And even, you know, even taking, 
that, I guess, a step to the side, you know, there, there, a lot of times there seems like there's these opportunities that are sort of commingled in with what, what it is that you're doing. It's still a, it's still another path, but it's, you know, along the same path that you're going on and, and, you know, is that a right path to take or is that not a right path to take any, any advice or any insights into that? Yeah. I mean, there's part of just strong convictions loosely held of being confident you're going in the right direction, but also cognizant enough that you might not, that you're taking in new data and adjusting if you need to. You, you don't want to blindly follow your gut. It was, I, I think, Keynes or somebody said, well, but you're, you're changing what you said. And he said, yeah, new facts came in. Yeah. When I, when I get new information, I change what I think. Yeah. What, what do you do with new information? Yeah. It's not flip-flopping. It's I'm getting more educated on this. In terms of tools we use, I guess a, a few, and they're, they're more analog than really anything. There's one, formalizing the process to, to allow people to submit ideas. So one, opening it up so people can do it, but also making it structured and rigorous enough that it's well thought out and people will only really invest the time if they really believe in it, they're committed to it, et cetera. Because you don't want people just kind of throwing out an email every day or week of, hey, you know, we should really do this. We should really do that. So kind of along the lines of the, the Amazon memos yep. of doing those yep. five-page memos of like really set it out and write, write out the, the, the press release of what the successful launch of this looks like. What mm-hmm. value is it delivering? Who's the customer? What does that look like? And so opening it up that you're receptive to it, but having it be enough work that there's a lot of self-filtering Mm-hmm. for it people really have to believe in it and then you're pitching it to the team so I, I think that's that's part on the front end on the idea now once you start going after something for us we do a lot with eos mm-hmm. entrepreneurial operating system and doing rocks and having that very clear at a team level of hey here are the kpis we're tracking every single week we're updating everybody's seeing that here are the rocks here's the owner who's the secondary and tracking that every week and making that totally visible to the team and, and making the team part of that planning process at a quarterly and a, a annual basis. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And I could tell that you guys were very process oriented just by some of the things that you sort of said in, in, in passing there. And it sounds like you, you absolutely do because, I mean, you even recognized if new data is coming in, you need to be in a position to be able to, to recognize that, hey, you know what, that, that is new data. That is an, another path that we're taking. And, you know, it sounds like you guys put yourself in good positions to be able to recognize, you know, those types of situations. You mentioned EOS. Do you have any books or anything like that that you would recommend on innovation at all? Any, any come to mind at all? Yeah. I, so traction is that was the, another one, the one I figured, for, yeah. yeah, getting the EOS out of that. So I, I find that very helpful scaling up by Fern Harnish, uh, I find very helpful. The These are less business books, but just kind of I'm fascinated by the customer-centric nature of Amazon and of Jeff Bezos. So the Everything Store and Bezonomics to, to really get into the mindset of how he builds that and continues to innovate. I mean, that I, I saw a tweet the other day of if you roll back to 2010 or 2005, if you took the top 10 line items, cost line items mm-hmm. from their budget, they've managed to turn every single one of those into profit centers. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. technology. Okay. AWS. Yeah. Shipping. Okay, great. We now have, and 
it's it, it kind of goes against the really focus on the one thing mm-hmm. until you realize he did focus on the one thing for he years. Did. It was an online bookstore. Yeah. And and with more resources, when you're the largest company or you know one of the five largest companies in the world, you probably can do more than one thing because you you have entire companies that are doing yeah. one thing, uh, and it, it works out. And so those I yeah I would start there. I, I I still remember the day when Amazon started selling other things. I was like, why why are they selling other? They they sell books. What's going on here? And then yeah. you know, twenty years later or whatever it is, you know, here they are. So they Jeff had some insights there. Um, you touched on this really briefly, and I I think that it's an interesting thing. Um, you mentioned the the Amazon memos or Amazon papers that everybody everybody writes there. Explain that a little bit more, like the mindset that you use going into that you know, into that process. I, I love the, the approach, but, but explain it a little bit more. Yeah. So I, they're actually, I kind of conflated and referenced two different things. So there's one on memos, instead of just a bunch of people talking about ideas, really coming in with a well-structured, well-thought-out, no more than five pages, the memo setting out, here's the problem, here's who's involved, here's what I believe the answer is and all the, the responses, and then formalizing how people respond to that. And it's that I think is helpful for the person themselves in really structuring the thoughts mm-hmm. and thinking through the next order implications. And I think it has a secondary benefit of when you talk about it's, it's almost more important to filter out the good to get to the great mm-hmm. of putting breaks on. If it, if it became too easy, too lightweight to get to that stage, to engage everyone else's time, that's very expensive time. A team mm-hmm. meeting looking at, do we go in new directions is very expensive time. And so making sure by the time you get to that point, it has cleared some gates. Yeah. And, and so I think it serves both of those purposes. It, it gets you a better, well thought out thing you're talking to, and it has a higher likelihood that the person believes and cares in it enough that they're going to see it through. Because yeah. I always say we, but I think no company has so many resources that people can just be idea people, yep. right? Like this, this idea now needs to be seen through. So yeah. it needs an, it, for new ideas or powerful intentional execution against those ideas are what's going to make the difference. And so that's kind of the first step there. The, the other piece is kind of the working back, back from the end of a new product launch. So trying to put yourself in the public's eyes, in the customer's eyes of instead of kind of pitching all these features and here's how we're going to do in the work plan, going to the very end when we launch, what is the story we would tell? How would we know this is successful? What are the metrics we would hit? And Mm -hmm. doing it in the form of a press release to one, I mean, it can generate excitement of everybody. Oh, okay. I really see where you're going with this. And two, again, to, to make sure it's worth, is the juice worth the squeeze um, of if we're going to put all this effort in is if everything worked out perfect, is that good enough to justify what we're going to have to do on the front end Mm -hmm. to get there? Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Yeah, we've we've done some business with Amazon and the business units that we were associated with. They would they they all have they always have they just always call them papers, but they always have two or three papers going at the same time. And it's great because what ends up happening is they start collaborating. You know, everybody sort of knows what the other person's working on. So they, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? So like you said, they they basically go and they have to pitch this to higher ups or you know, in in some type of a meeting. So so it does 
allow for a lot better structuring of ideas and pre- presenting those ideas to others so that you know everybody else can digest them. So love that advice. Love that. So Andrew, if someone wanted to learn more about you, your teachings, your your products, your services, what, what do you say is the uh, the best way to be able to reach out and contact you or learn more? Yeah. So certainly for the company for vacation rental and short-term rental revenue management, rented.com is a site for the company. For me personally, LinkedIn is, I think that's probably how we initially connected. Mm-hmm. I, I put up all my writings kind of linked there, whether it's on Forbes or elsewhere. That's a great source. And I do some Twitter at M-A McConnell, M-C-C-O-N-N-E-L-L, but LinkedIn is, is probably the best. Fantastic. I love it. You know, thanks for spending the time and sharing some some ideas on innovation and, and uh, wish you lo- nothing but success here in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.